BS Free Witchcraft is a production of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Nerd and Tie produces podcasts ranging from actual play to true crime, and you can find more at nerdandtie.com or join our Discord by going to nerdandtie.com slash Discord. Welcome to BS Free Witchcraft, your monthly guide to the modern witchcraft movement. Minus a lot of the usual, well, bullshit. I'm your host, Trey Dorn, and this month we are talking about the in-between. We are talking about the places where things intersect, where they transition. We're talking about liminality, liminal spaces, and uh, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about this month. Because I know that, like, I launched this podcast saying, like, oh, you know, aesthetics are great, but that's what we'll, we're talking about aesthetics. We're talking about something that in many ways is an aesthetic, but how that aesthetic and how those things influence our mindset and how they influence our our personal state of mind i think that is vitally important to uh the magic we do i'm not saying it whether or not it changes its effectiveness at all or whether or not it's actually important but to me it's emotionally important <laughs> So with that in mind, that's that's what we're going down the the roads with here, so to speak. Now, the concept of liminality uh, originally comes from like anthropology, and it's uh, the 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 it's the idea of that kind of state of mind when someone is transitioning like in ritual from one thing to another, like. It's not necessarily exactly what a lot of people think of when they actually hear the word, but it's where, like, in a rite of passage or something like that, the, the person participating in it, uh, they no longer hold their pre-ritual status, but have not yet fully transitioned to where they're going. And we kind of take that... There's a feeling that goes with that. As we move from the transition from one to another, that I think that is much more universally applied. And the the idea of liminal spaces is really caught on, at least in the last few years, aesthetically. But it, it goes back much further, especially in traditions of like magic, what we now call liminal spaces. It's These are these places on the edge between one thing and another. These are the places between, the places that don't really belong to one particular thing. Liminal spaces are those spaces in between. They are those points of transition. What makes something a liminal space? Well, that's a good question. Um, often it's the repeated things, the things that feel like they don't have a place, the things that feel like they're out of time or aren't connected specifically to a location it's about the transition from light to dark when we stand at the edge of the fire that transition from the world we know to the world we don't know liminality is in many ways about that feeling between familiarity and uncertainty so for that it is sometimes very personal about what feels liminal and what doesn't there are elements to our world that 
may seem very familiar to people who grew up in certain environments that would feel alien to anybody who didn't like exist in those places. And what may be a familiar sight may be unfamiliar to someone who didn't grow up in that kind of a place. Be it a parking lot or a park, time of day can affect the liminality of a space. What is during the daylight an ordinary place becomes something else when you are standing lit on the edge of darkness. The context of these places matters. When you're there matters. During the day, this is a welcoming neighborhood park, but at night it becomes something else because the context of the time of day changes it to a place of transition and evokes that sense of liminality. I do a lot of conventions. I am a giant nerd, which should shock nobody watching the video version. <laughs> uh, but I'm a big nerd, and I've been helping run conventions since I was a teenager. I started my own convention over 20 years ago. And what that means is that I spend a lot of time in hotels. Um, and hotels are one of the most classic liminal spaces because almost every hotel of a certain amount, like they feel like every other hotel you've ever been in because they all use similar architecture. They all are laid out almost identically that when it often feels like if you've been in one hotel room, you've been in every hotel room. And the interesting thing about conventions is that they're almost a temporary space that exists. Like if you go to the same convention in the same hotel every year, you see often the same people, but these are not always people from this place. Like, um, I ran a convention that we used to be for, we spent like five cons in, uh, the Wisconsin Dells. Nobody lives in, I mean, people live in the Wisconsin Dells, but not many people in this, live in the Wisconsin Dells. The majority of the people who came to that convention like 99% were not locals. They came from all over the, 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 the state of Wisconsin and Minnesota and Illinois. And it was the same people in the same space. And it was laid out the same way in that building every year. And so if you take a look between like the 2019 convention and the 2022 convention, it feels like you're in the same place between those two events. But if you went to that convention center on the Monday after the convention it would not feel like the same place it's it's interesting it's the the sense of time like they reconstruct an entire environment every year so if you only enter that place at those times you feel like you're there That impermanence is is really interesting. And especially like if you go to a bunch of conventions where you'll see a lot of the same vendors, a lot of the same attendees, you can go from city to city and feel like you keep going to the same place. But they're different. It's a different town. It's a different city. It's a different environment. You've created this artificial world between... And I think like the 
industrialization, the modernization, the franchises, the chains, the things that we exist in create an almost a sense of unreality. For Americans, often the sense of liminality doesn't kick in until we leave home. We don't realize how homogenous our spaces have become until we go to different ones. To a hotel worker, the hotel they work at feels local, feels real, feels like a place. It's only to the traveler who has been to so many identical places that that sense of unreality kicks in, that that sense that this is an in-between place kicks in to the workers of a local restaurant, part of a chain, or to the workers in that hotel, or the workers, uh, to the people who live in day in, day out in these spaces, they feel real. Because that particular place and its imperfections and its particulars and specifics have become more apparent. Because those differences do stick out to them, or just the fact that they've only ever been to the one that they call home. The context of place, the context of person, makes a huge difference. To the person who's never left home, that sense of liminality, that sense of an in-between space may never exist in these locations. Because to them, to them, it's real. A place can be both unreal and real at the same time. My favorite example is Steak and Shake. So, <laughs> Steak and Shakes, I found, are far more uniform between their uh, locations than other chains. And it creates sometimes the most eerie in-between experience I used to, when my wife and I, for a while, we lived in Lafayette, Indiana. We don't live in a town with a steak and shake anymore. We used to live in Lafayette, Indiana, and it was one of our regular places to stop for, like, a cheap dinner. We were going out f for the, you know, the night on a Saturday night. We would stop at Steak and Shake for an inexpensive dinner. And we went to, there was more than one in town, but we went to the same one usually. And we often got seated in the same booth. And, uh... It was just this recurring thing. We probably went there over the course of seven years, hundreds of times. Now, after we left Indiana, not long, like, not long after, um, we had a couple of trips out east, and we no longer live in town with the Steak and Shake, and uh, we went out east once for uh, my cousin's wedding and on the, on, the, on the east coast, and on the trip we stopped at a random Steak and Shake somewhere in Ohio. And it was a very eerie experience going in there uh, late at night as we walked into a building that felt incredibly familiar. We had been in, steak and in, in a different Steak and Shake dozens and hundreds of times, and we were sat in the same booth that we almost always sat in, in an environment that was identical to the one that we had spent literally hundreds of times in. Except we had never been here before. We had never been in this town before, but here we are in a place that feels as familiar as home, knowing that the moment we step out, out that door back into the night, we are in an unfamiliar town. 
few weeks later, we ended up having to travel back out um, for uh, the funeral and for someone else then, uh, on my wife's side of the family. And we ended up in another steak and shake in a different town. And we were seated in the same booth. And it's just this eerie feeling of knowing that you have never been here in this place before, that you are in a place that is new and you've never existed in this spot before. Yet, you know every inch of the space by heart. It feels as familiar as a place you've been hundreds of times, but you know you've never been there. This in-between between familiarity and alien that that in-between state that is so hard to define that is what makes something a liminal space we see it in hotels we see it in you know there's this cliche with the video game the back rooms but like anyone who's been in like the back hallways of certain buildings and or, or the mall. If you've ever worked in a mall, which I'm aging myself, I know when I say that, but there there are back maintenance halls and like back hallways in almost every mall uh, for workers for like restocking and things like that. And it's it's a very different world. Like this idea of the back rooms, um, which started out as a creepy pasta, and there are games. It's it captures something real when you're actually in spaces like that. <laughs> like the eeriest thing about the back rooms to me, like as uh, a piece of fiction, like the video game especially, is that it looks like places I have been dozens of times. And there's like a childhood memory to me of uh, this is in the early 80s because I am old. I'm in my 40s. The early 80s, I was in, um, I forget the name of the place. It was it was like a Chuck E. Cheese or a Showbiz Pizza. It was in the Chicago area, but I think it was one of the knockoff brands. Like when Chuck E. Cheese uh, came out, a bunch of people tried to mimic the, uh, the formula. And this is one of those places that, so it wasn't, I don't think it was a Showbiz. I don't think it was, it might have been a Showbiz, but I, I know it wasn't a Chuck E. Cheese. Um... And uh, there was this castle thing next to the ball pit. And uh, when I was real little, there was like a doorway from the castle you could jump into the ball pit from, which is why. But there was like, it was just sort of like a little facade of a castle. But behind it, I think there were like coat hooks. I think it was designed for people who were um, renting the place out for a party, like as a place where they could hang it up. But all the lights were off in this kind of series of rooms. And it wasn't that deep. It was probably only like... Like, it was like a little hallway, and it was probably just two little side cubbies. But I was, like, four. <laughs> like, four or five when I'm walking into this place. So you have to understand, that was the perspective. And it seemed like it was like this... When you go from a brightly lit area at the top to, like, it just got darker and darker as it went back. And to kind of these blank, boring, you know white walled rooms with like coat hooks and it 
it felt like it went on forever in my memory as a child. But I know when we went back there another time, like it was still there and it wasn't that deep. Um, but that in between nature, that sense, that feeling you get in your gut, that is the first time I ever remember feeling that as it felt like it was going this transition from something familiar to something else. It's weird. And when we talk about folklore and magic and what we're doing, like when we talk about folk magic and we talk about the traditions of all of this stuff, we find liminal spaces as one of the, the keys to a lot of things. In fact, one of the most famous in examples of a liminal space is the crossroads. The crossroads may, in fact, be the most important liminal space out of all of them. The intersection of two roads exists between many things. The folklore of the crossroads actually feels like the most universal piece of folk magic across different cultures. Um, like... The ancient Greeks connected uh, both Hermes and Hecate to the uh, the crossroads. Hermes being the god of travelers, often statues of Hermes would be placed at crossroads to, you know, ward off evil and protect people traveling along, along the roads. Hecate, uh, among many of the things that she was goddess of, was she was the goddess of the crossroads, and offerings to Hecate would be left at the crossroads for her. Um... In medieval European folklore, we see a darker, darker side to this. Besides criminals being punished at the crossroads, because they were the marked boundaries of a settlement often, they became a burial place for those who could not be buried in the grounds of the Christian church. And it's also in medieval Europe that we see the crossroads as a place where someone would make a deal with the devil. It's where Faust made his deal. Outside of Europe, um, we see traditions like uh, which, which, like hoodoo, which I am not an expert in because that is clearly not for me. Um, but we see the crossroads pop up again as a place where spirit communication takes place. The origins of that probably goes back to the Aruba people um, with the trickster um, Ashu Alegba. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and I am sorry. Um, but that's where Eshulegba was supposed to live. And we see it in Brazilian folklore, probably also coming over from the African people brought there. It's... I think the crossroads is the most universal of liminal spaces because it's the one encountered by everyone. It's the crossing between two paths that go to different places that are two worlds intersecting. Crossroads leads us to a choice. The crossroads is the border. The crossroads is the edge of the settlement. The crossroads are the lines between, but also they are the paths that take us between two different places. And it is the intersection of two different paths and different choices that we can make. And when we fit in between these things, that's when we find ourselves in the most liminal spaces.
Also, I have resisted singing a Bone Thugs and Harmony song every single time I was writing like scripts for this episode. I'm just saying, you're all lucky that I didn't do that. Importantly, though, the Crossroads maintain this kind of uh, sense of transition, and that's why so many um, types of folk magic are bound to it. And I think that while the crossroads is the most obvious, I think that the the magic of the crossroads and the magic of that transition of that liminal feeling comes into every liminal space. I think that they are all as equally magically significant. But that's again just my personal opinion. <laughs> it's it's not simple to put into words because you feel it in your gut. you just sort of know it when it happens. It's not quite a sensation of dread. It's not a bad thing. But you just know that you're in that mindset and you're in that space. And I think that's when some of the most wonderful magic that we can do can be done. You know, it's interesting. Like, the context of time. And maybe it has to do with some human instinct having to do with the dangers of the darkness, but I feel like there are many things that are just enhanced by being at night, by being the context of time. Um, <laughs> music is one of them. There are songs that if I listen to in the darkness, sitting at the edge of the light that feel important, that, that connect to me in ways that they don't feel if I'm listening to them at 1.30 in the afternoon. The fact is, I feel like this entire video is less impactful because there's sunlight coming in my window behind me, but frankly, that's just when I have time to record podcasts <laughs> and videos. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck with that. Um, and I feel like if I had the budget, I would have played... Uh, some Robert Johnson here <laughs> on the Crossroads section, but we cannot afford to license that. <laughs> it's still covered by copyright. So, um, and that song's not really about anything other than a person's personal journey. Uh, it's not really about uh, making a deal with the devil the way the folklore says it is, whether or not Robert Johnson did or did not make a deal with the devil I leave up to people honestly it's more fun as a story regardless of what happened it's the truth but isn't what a lot of we're doing just telling stories I feel like I didn't give enough context for that if you don't know who Robert Johnson is go google Robert Johnson and Crossroads <laughs> I don't we're, we're not gonna go over that uh because <laughs> I feel like that's an entirely off-track thing, but yeah. I guess this entire ramble, this entire thing, is just to say that I know I've dismissed aesthetics, and I know I've dismissed that early on in this show. If you go back how many episodes, way back to you know the first one, 
But I do think, I do honestly think the aesthetic and the mind state it puts us in is incredibly important. And uh, maybe I shouldn't always be so dismissive of that. Maybe I should keep that in mind. Maybe we all should. I don't know. With that in mind, we're going to wrap up this month's episode. Uh, just a reminder that uh, BS3 Witchcraft exists because of supporters like you guys. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, people at my $10 tier on the Patreon of Stephanie Graves, Lindsay Dosey, Bruce Norville, Courtney, Amber Schmidt, Claire Dennis, Kayla Burkowski. Um, if you want to contribute to the Patreon at patreon.com slash T-R-A-E-G-O-R-N, you get some nice benefits, like you get this, an episode like this, you get it a week early. Um, also, I've been doing some Patreon-exclusive vlogs, and uh, so that's a little bit of exclusive content for people who subscribe to the Patreon. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, if you can't afford to support the show, because, um, again, you get that early count, you get all that content for even just the dollar a month tier. Um, if you don't feel like contributing to the Patreon, that's okay. I understand. Uh, money is money and we are all broke. Uh, just share this show with a friend, tell them about it. Um, I do want to say that, uh, in a few months we have the annual feedback episode coming up and that is uh, the July episode. And I need, uh, questions from listeners like you to fill that episode with. If you want to ask a question to be uh, answered in the feedback episode, uh, go to bs3witchcraft.com and click on the contact button on the menu and uh, use a little form to send me your question. I answer them anonymously, and uh, so you don't have to worry about me. I will expose as little or as much information about you as you want in your question. Uh, but yeah, I, I like answering your questions. I like going into those. And often those will lead to ideas for episodes down the road. So please, please ask um, so I can, you know, answer something. You know, like that's part of the whole point of the show. <laughs> As a reminder that this show is a part of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Um, you can listen to a bunch of other great shows on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, including Hex Positive, kind of the sibling show to this. Uh, hosted by Brina Garen. She is back making new episodes the first of the month. Um, and you can find that at nerdtie.com slash hex. Uh, also, uh, we're currently releasing season three of The Meat Grinder, one of the actual play shows that I GM. Um, and that is going up live at nerdtie.com slash meat grinder. That's kind of, we're doing a horror sci-fi season. So uh, that's, it's neat. I think it's fun. Um, yeah, and remember, if you want to follow the show on social media, um, I am mostly on Tumblr at uh, tragorn.tumblr.com. And uh, you can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash bs3witchcraft. Technically, I still have a Twitter, but I honestly don't know if any of my automated tweets are even still happening. But so that's uh, twitter.com slash tragorn. Um, <laughs> who knows? And I, I do have a TikTok. I'm T-R-E-G-O-R-N on TikTok. I'm taking a break from there right now, but I will eventually be going back to that account. So, yeah. And remember, uh, if you're listening to the audio version, this is available also on our YouTube cha channel, uh, BS for Witchcraft. 
where you get to see my stupid face during these episodes if you'd rather watch the video version. Hardly anyone watches the video versions of these. It's funny, I put a, lot, a bunch of work into the videos now, and like thousands of people listen to the audio version, and then like we're like, and less than 100 people watch the video version. Hooray. But, you know, uh, it's fun to do, I guess. This episode actually had a little bit of on-location shooting, so that's why the audio quality occasionally dropped. But, still, uh, it's fun, it's good for you, and I, I hope whatever this mess is that I've been doing makes you happy, because uh, it, it usually makes me happy, I guess. I don't know, Majikins. I will talk to you guys next time. And uh, remember, Majikins, dirt in our fingernails, brick in our hands. And I will talk to you next month. Maybe with something more researched than this. I don't know. <laughs>